Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. As always, before I begin my episode... I would like to play a promo for you all, and this is the podcast, Men's Rea. Men's Rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Men's Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK, and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. Mens Rea is a podcast that covers crimes from the UK and from Ireland. So if you are into detailed, serious, no-nonsense, true crime stories, then this is a must-subscribe and must-listen. Go ahead, you won't regret it. Now, on to today's episode. Nepal, officially known as the Federal Democratic Republic of Nepal, is a country located in South Asia. To the north of Nepal is China, to the south, east, and west is all India and a tiny bit of Bangladesh. Nepal is also pretty much located in the region we know of as the Himalayas. Nepal is about 57,000 square miles, divided into seven provinces. The capital of Nepal is Kathmandu, and population as of recent is around 30 million. Nepal is a multi-diverse nation with over 120 ethnographic linguistic groups but they do find common ground when it comes to language. The official language of Nepal is Nepali, and English also works. And they also recognize various other national languages such as Urdu, Nuor, Magar, etc. Religion-wise, more than 80% of the population follow Hinduism, while the rest follow Buddhism, Islam, Quran, and Christianity. This area has an extremely diverse geography, 
ranging from fertile plains, forested hills, to eight of the tallest mountains in the world, as in Mount Everest. This is also why Nepal is often referred to as the roof of the world, impressively diverse for such a small country. Now, let's take a quick look at Nepal's history and how it became the nation that it is today. So the word Nepal was first mentioned in a text from the Vedic period, which if you can recall is a period around 1500 to 500 BCE that existed in the northern Indian subcontinent. In other words, Nepal has very strong historical ties with India, but Nepal's history goes way back, before any recording from India. The first sign of people inhabiting Nepal were the Neolithic tools found in the Kathmandu Valley, proving that human activity has been around for about 11,000 years. One of the oldest dynasties from the Kathmandu Valley is the Gopal Banza, while one of the earliest kingdom was the Kirata Kingdom, documenting a total of 32 kings throughout their reign. Small clans and kingdoms began to form around 500 BCE, and the prince came from one of the regions who later gave up the prince life and became the one and only Buddha. As in, yes, the OG Buddha. Years went on and parts of modern Nepal were under the various ancient Indian empire rule, such as the Gupta Empire around the 4th century CE. Another dynasty came along, the Lichavi dynasty, though it is not confirmed when they began their rule, but their rule ended around the 8th century. The new era was referred to as the Newar or the Thakuri era, where it lasted till around the 12th century. For the next two centuries, Nepal would be unified and ruled by a group of kings up till the point where the kingdom pretty much broke up into different states. Next up was the ruling of the king, wow, this is a really long name, Jayasthitimalia, who was known as the best successor of the entire Mala dynasty. Up until this point, Nepal was still in its early stages, as in the early and medieval times. Nepal wasn't completely put together and established till the mid-1700s by a Gorkha king by the name of Prithvi Narayan Shah. He fought his way around Nepal, conquering the Kathmandu Valley and other places. The empire even managed to take some northern Indian and Tibetan lands, but this caused the Qing emperor in China to fight back, resulting in Nepal retreating and paying heavy fees to China. At the time, the British were in India, and since there were land disputes, this also started the Anglo-Nepali War in 1815. The British lost the first battle because they underestimated their enemy, and finally the two came up with a Sugali Treaty, which is basically Nepal defeated and giving up the land they had once taken. Around the mid-1850s, the Khat Massacre happened where the military personnel fought against those loyal to the queen, as the queen had plotted to overthrow the military leader. So the military leader, Yung Bahadur Kunwar, won, executed hundreds of those that were on the queen's side, and founded the Rana dynasty. They were extremely friendly with the British, so friendly that they supported the British during the Indian Rebellion, and the British were so grateful that they gave away pieces of land to Nepal. 
Eventually, in 1923, Nepal and the UK signed an agreement of friendship. Despite how successful the Rana dynasty seemed, it was said to have been filled with tyranny, debauchery, economic exploitation, and religious persecution. Meanwhile, India felt slightly threatened by how Nepal was behaving, so they took matters into their own hands and sponsored a new ruler, King Tribhuvan, as Nepal's new ruler, and also created a new government, which of course ended the Rana dynasty. In the following few decades, Nepal would function under a partyless system until the People's Movement forced the king to accept reforms in the country. In the 90s, the Nepali civil war took place, where the Communist Party of Nepal had intentions of replacing the royal parliament. This civil war went on for about 10 years, finally ending in 2006 with the Comprehensive Peace Accord, and thus ending the Hindu Shah monarchy rule. Creating a secular republican regime, around fifteen thousand people died during the civil war, and in very terrible ways. In two thousand and six, the House of Representatives was re-established, and Nepal officially ended its status as a Hindu kingdom. Nepal was declared a federal republic in two thousand and eight, and its most recent constitution was announced in two thousand and fifteen by the president of Nepal. Nepal is a perfect place for those who like the outdoor challenges and climbing up mountains. It really does have everything you need: the highest peak, valleys, lakes, deep gorges, flat fields, and one thing, the view. They're all extremely breathtaking. Nepal's economy is mostly reliant on agricultural and manufacturer work, and being a multi-ethnic country, they sure have a lot of holidays and festivals. A lot of different cuisine for people to try out, and the nation itself is very fond of folklore, as it reflects their life, their culture, and their beliefs. So I actually skipped a very important event that happened in Nepal in 2001, mostly because that's what today's topic is going to be about. So I didn't want to give it away in the intro. But if you're a world history nerd, then you may have figured it out by now. In 2001. A massacre took place in the royal palace of Nepal. Definitely not a typical day for anybody. Ten people were killed, and believe it or not, the details of the massacre is still being debated, and there are lots of conspiracy theories regarding this case. So, without further ado, let's jump right into today's murder story. Oh, and I really do apologize for my terrible pronunciation because I don't speak Nepali. And okay, King Birendra of Nepal was born on December twenty ninth, nineteen forty four, in the royal palace in Nepal. His father, King Mahendra, was the king of Nepal at the time. Being the eldest son in his family, he eventually became king after his father suffered a heart attack in nineteen seventy two at the age of fifty one. He was officially crowned king in February of nineteen seventy five. Okay, but let's back up a tiny bit so we can get to know this King Birendra a little bit more. As a child, he studied in a Jesuit school in Darjeeling, and in 1959, after he officially became the Crown Prince of Nepal, he enrolled at Eton College in the UK. He finished his studies, returned to Nepal, and traveled all over the country, living in villages and getting to know the country and its local areas. 
He also later spent time studying in the University of Tokyo and in Harvard University. As you can see, this guy was well-traveled and was trying to educate himself and search for more knowledge outside of his comfort zone. He later married his um, second cousin, and their wedding was said to be one of the most lavish ceremonies in history, amounting to about 9.5 million US dollars. The couple had three kids, first a son named Dipendra, a daughter named Shruti, and a son named Nirajan. The prince or king, Birendra, was said to be unlike any other ruler the nation has ever seen. He had more emotion, more compassion, and was intent on having Nepal experience the true meaning of democracy. I bet most kings and royals were like, okay, I rule the country and you all do as I say, my way or the highway kind of rule. But not King Barendra. It was under his reign that the constitutional monarchy was established, which meant he gave up entirely on dictatorship. Doesn't he sound like a pretty cool guy? He was also working hard to put Nepal out there in the world by working on foreign relations with other countries. So there. So now you have an idea of what this king was like. Now it's time we discuss his eldest son, Prince Dipendra, because he plays a major role in this case. Prince Dipendra was born on June 27, 1971 in Kathmandu. During his early childhood years, he was educated in a school in Kathmandu and later also enrolled in Eton College in the UK, just like his father. After his studies in the UK, he returned to Nepal, studied geography in Tribhuvan University, the oldest university in Nepal. He also attended the Academy of Royal Nepalese Gurkha Army, so clearly he was into military stuff. Aside from his military career, he was very interested in sports. He even received a black belt in karate when he was 20. When he was in the UK, he met and fell in love with a woman named Deviani Rana who happened to be the daughter of an Indian royal family. Despite being a member of the royal family, things were not that easy for the couple. Dependra's parents objected to his relationship as her family was from a lower caste, and the two families had history with each other. By parents, it was more his mother, but that's just hearsay. Long story short, the Rana clan had once ruled Nepal before his family did, in other words, the two families had bad blood. This is all very Romeo and Juliet style. Oh, there was another reason why they were not good for each other. The age gap. How bad is this age gap, you ask? Deviani was approximately one month older than Dipendra. I know, I know. To us, this is like, what? But to them, those whole traditions word for word, and see it as extremely sacred, I guess it's important to them. Or it was just an excuse to have Dipendra not marry somebody from the opposite clan. Dipendra's parents told him if he were to marry Deviani, he would have to give up his place in the family, meaning he would not be part of the royal family anymore. It is unclear as to how Dipendra reacted to this threat, probably needed time to think about it and find a way to make it work. In the meantime, life went on, until that fateful day in June of 2001. I will give you the most commonly known version first, 
then we will dive into other theories and such later on. The day was June 1st, 2001. Location, the Narayanhiti Royal Palace in Kathmandu, Nepal. That night, it was a pretty usual night at the Royal Palace. The Royal family had gotten together to have a party or a reunion of sorts. Most of the family members and their relatives were there, including the king, the queen, and their kids. According to those who were present, the eldest son, Dipendra, arrived to the dinner party drunk. He was talking loudly and sort of stressing everybody out. He got into arguments with his family members, and soon, his younger brother, Nirajan, his cousin, Paras, and a military doctor who also happened to be King Virendra's brother's son-in-law, yeah, that's a little bit complicated, Dr. Shahi escorted the Pendra back to his room. He was causing chaos and they were not going to let him ruin a nice dinner party. After the dinner party was over, the royal family moved from the dining area to a drawing room, where they just sat around and chilled. When you live in a palace, you will probably end up with tons of very specific rooms. Drawing, reading, painting, uh, podcasting? Anyway, before anyone realized what was happening, Dipendra entered the drawing room armed with an assault rifle. He went directly up to his father and shot him. Chaos ensued, and according to witnesses, the crown prince left the room for a few seconds, came back, and when his uncle, the king's brother, tried to stop him from hurting anybody else, he shot his uncle in the chest, point blank. Now the room was on full-on panic mode. The crown prince, Dipendra, went at it, shooting at anybody who came close to him or who tried to run. This included both his mother and his brother who tried to stop him from shooting his mother. The military doctor I mentioned previously managed to jump from the window and ran to get help, meaning he missed out on most of what was going on in the drawing room. According to witness accounts, the whole shootout lasted for maybe about a minute and a half. By the end of that one minute or so, nine people were dead, and the crown prince turned the gun on himself after shooting everybody in sight. He was found bleeding on a small bridge over a stream that ran through the palace. If that's not an unusually tragic night, I don't know what is. Of course, security guards and everybody else around the royal palace heard the gunshots, but they were unsure of what it was. The first shot they heard was just puzzling. Then the second and third, and those that followed, got their full attention. By the time anyone realized what was going on, it was already all over. The crown prince's immediate family members were all killed, along with some other relatives. There were many survivors. Some were not even physically wounded at all. Those that survived said that once the crown prince appeared with his gun, his cousin Paris had jumped in front of a group of women and children, helping them duck for cover by putting furniture between them and the crown prince. One of the king's cousins, who was at the scene, recalled years later that the Pendra entered the drawing room wearing army fatigues and had several guns with him. Quote, the look on his face was very scary. I still remember it, and it still gives me the creeps when I remember his face. He looked exactly like the Terminator too, Absolutely expressionless, but very concentrated. 
end quote. The next day, many people in the nation had heard of the shootings at the royal palace, and everyone's initial thought was that it had to be the communists who did this. They were shocked that something like this could happen, especially since King Berendra was very popular and well-liked among the Nepalese. At first, news media and the state did not report the massacre out of respect, and also because they wanted to have all the facts before the reporting. God forbid they reported false information, especially on such an important matter. A senior palace official even told CNN that the family had been killed due to an accidental discharge of an automatic weapon. What an accident indeed. Newspapers and TV would say the king and the queen have passed away without giving too much information away, and radio broadcasts would play morning music. Now that the king was dead, the logical successor would, of course, be the prince. Prince Dipendra, a.k.a. the family annihilator. Yes, he shot himself and he was found on a bridge, unconscious. But no, he was not dead. Despite being the killer and in a comatose state, he was crowned king as soon as King Birendra was pronounced dead. The funeral for the nine royal family members was held the day after the shooting, on June 2nd. Thousands of people took to the streets as the funeral was being held. The family members were placed on wooden pyres and were set on fire in a way to cremate their bodies. This is done in accordance to the Hindu tradition. It was said that the queen's face was so disfigured from her wounds that she had a porcelain mask covering her face. The nine people killed include the following. King Birendra, Queen Aishwarya, Princess Sharudi, Prince Nirajan, the king's sisters, Princess Shanti, Princess Sharada, and her husband, Kumar Khadga, the king's brother, Prince Direndra, and the king's cousin, Princess Jayanti. As for the current king at the time, King Deprendra, I can't really say he got to bathe in all the glory that came with being a king. Because after being the Nepali king for a mere three days, he was also pronounced dead. Since his younger brother had died in the massacre, the next person in line as the successor would be King Barendra's younger brother, Gyanendra. Depending on how you look at it, he luckily or suspiciously did not attend the dinner party on June 1st, though his wife and children were there. Remember Paris, the cousin that helped save a bunch of women and children? He is Ganendra's son. In other words, between June 1st and June 4th, three different kings ruled Nepal. Three kings in four days. Eventually, news sources released the details of what had happened that night, or what they assume happened. Now that Ganendra was the new king of Nepal, he swore up and down that he would get to the bottom of this. One thing to note, it is illegal to investigate and charge the active ruling king in Nepal, so this is one of the reasons why the press was told of the accidental weapons discharge story, because if Dipendra had survived and recovered, he would still be king and he could not be investigated or accused of the crime. That's why they had to be extra cautious with their wording. But now that the Pendra was dead, King Ganendra was free to speak of his investigation 
and of the results. The investigation itself took about a week, which included crime scene investigation, eyewitness testimonies, etc. The conclusion was simple. Dependra wasn't happy with how things were going at home, so he decided to kill everybody standing in his way. By things, I am mostly referring to two things. One, his relationship with his girlfriend that his parents frowned upon, and two, the fact that his father was changing the ruling of the country from absolute monarchy to constitutional monarchy. Was Dependra mad that the people had more power now, and that the country was going to shit because of his father? Did this make him this mad? Since he was next in line, it most likely would have affected how he would rule the country. So is it possible that he wanted to get rid of his father before he could take away more power from the royal family? Of course, these are all theories. Everyone present and who survived the shooting agreed that it was Dependra. But why would he do such a thing? No one would ever know for sure. When things of this magnitude happen, there will always be people who do not believe the official story and also a bunch of other conspiracy theories will pop out. For one thing, we have to look at the new king, King Gyanendra. Is it far-fetched to assume that he had a hand in all this? That he wanted to crown himself but couldn't do so with his brother and his nephews standing in the way? Here is an important piece of information. At the time, Ganendra and his son Paris were highly disliked individuals in Nepal. Paris was known as the black sheep of the family, as in the family drunk and the one who was not doing much with his royal life. As for Ganendra, he was also unhappy with how his brother Benendra ran the country, as in giving away so much power to the people. People theorized that the fact that Ganendra was not present at the family dinner and that none of his children or wife died was very suspicious. Sure, they were wounded, but it was nothing life-threatening. Paras, who was strongly disliked by the public, even managed to get out alive and as a hero for saving women and children. Some sources have accused King Ganendra for anxiously trying to portray his unpopular son in a positive light to gain acceptance. The truth is, his ascension to the throne was heavily criticized and unwelcomed by the public. If he were innocent, then it sucks to have to take over in this manner and have the whole country suspicious of you. But if he was somehow involved, I highly doubt he would give a rat's ass as to how people saw him. What mattered to him would be that he was now the boss. There were other theories as to what could have taken place that night in the royal palace that had nothing to do with the crown prince, Dependra, or the new king. One popular theory is the two masked men theory. Although everybody present and alive pointed out that it was Prince Dependra who shot everybody, it was still said that two masked men had actually committed the massacre. One was dressed and made to resemble the prince, so that is why people thought it was him. So if this theory were true, who were these two men? Could they be hired help? And how did they manage to get past security? Another popular theory is that India was behind the massacre. Apparently, King Birendra had rejected a proposal from India regarding water and security management, and instead worked with China. It was speculated that India was now unable to control Nepal, 
That's why they carried out the shooting as retaliation, or to make a strong statement. Another theory was brought to light about eight years after the massacre. A man showed up randomly and claimed to be responsible for the entire shooting. He gave very dramatic and suspicious accounts of what went on, saying that he was angry at the royal family for their greed and their ways. According to him, he had been planning the massacre since 1975, and he decided the massacre had to happen when he was sitting behind bars for an unrelated crime. It was apparently his plan to leave Gyanendra and his family alive because he would be a good successor due to his business thinking ways. Also, it was necessary to leave a family member alive because of all the money they had stashed away in the banks in India and in Switzerland. He further explained that Dipendra, Gyanendra, and everybody else was innocent and not behind the killings. But he also refused to name the gunmen present. Okay, what do you think of this guy's claim? Does it sound far-fetched? He was deemed to be sane and coherent, but his words were just words, as no one was able to corroborate his claims. So strange. But this is what happens when important people die. Bring out them theories. Now I would like to discuss Crown Prince and King of Three Days, Dipendra, a bit more. According to a source from the royal palace, Dipendra was very kind and gentle on the outside, but it was clear to everybody in his family that he may have had another side to him. He was described as sadistic. It was rumored that he would kill and burn cats and mice. He was into guns and had a large collection of firearms, which included submachine guns, hunting rifles, pistols, all that. To be fair, it was not weird for kings or princes to have guns, but it seemed like his fascination with guns went a bit further than collecting guns. As for his temper, when his father had announced that Nepal would be shifting to a constitutional monarchy, it was said that the prince, who was in the UK at the time, got so mad he broke a door. Remember the woman he wanted to marry, Deviani Rana? Those around them suspected that he was beating her behind closed doors, but she denied all these claims. The truth is, we will most likely never really know what happened that night, or why it happened. The official story goes that the crown prince lost it and killed his entire family. But it is definitely not the story most people believe. Most people still prefer the old king than the new king, Ganendra, and things had gotten much worse when he came into power. He dissolved parliament, silenced journalists, and tried to bring back absolute monarchy. Due to his extreme ways, the people united and finally ended the monarchy in 2008. Ganendra stepped down, accepting the people's decision, and began living life as an ordinary citizen. Some people still believe that he's plotting his comeback, and although many people do prefer the monarchy life, they would much rather not have Ganendra as their king. As for Devyani Rana, she left Nepal as soon as the massacre happened, because it was only a matter of time before reporters and people began to harass her for what had happened. So there you have it. The bloodbath massacre that took place in the royal family in Nepal, which created three kings in four days. 
I'm not sure how much you all knew about this case, but either way, I hope you all leave with a new story, a new perspective, or even just lots of confusion. Ganendra is said to be living in a two-bedroom apartment, living a normal life like any other citizen. It's true some people would prefer to reinstate the monarchy, because without a parent guiding the country, it just feels like a lot of relatives, aka political parties, arguing over who gets to do what. Maybe one day there will be a new theory regarding this massacre, or maybe one day the truth will come out. But that is definitely unlikely. I hope you guys enjoyed this strange case. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.